This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the show. So, interesting stuff happening this week. Of course, here at Simply Real Estate, I am always looking at what's happening in the economy, of course, the world of real estate, what's happening with prices. And of course, I'm keeping a very watchful eye on the government. Yep, I got to tell you. What is with the government? I mean, you know, they all want to step in it. And this week, they did a full wheelbarrow full. You know, got to thank Kathleen Wynne for her excellent perception of getting the CPP to increase so she wouldn't have to use her ORP. And But meanwhile, uh, you know, right now, the release they're saying is uh, that it probably costs about $20 million dollars you know, for her to do her little, I, I guess, fact-finding missions. And what are the chances are it's going to go to $50 million? The reason why I have a problem with this is that provincially, you know, we've got to watch where our money's going. And, of course, I can relate it all back to the tax, tax structure, what we pay for our infrastructure and everything else. But so far, i got to tell you, I'm really not impressed. And I don't think many of you are either because her popularity is sitting at 18%. Question is, can we get her to single digits? Something tells me that's going to happen if she keeps governing the way she is. And uh, let's talk about a couple other comments that are happening in the uh, in the governmental uh, aspect. We take a look at um, the minister um, of the finance minister, Mr. Bill Marneau, and he just released the fact that um, he was having a meeting actually at the Economic Club of Canada, and he's now saying that they're going to create a group that are going to take a good hard look at what the real estate market needs to do to cool in both British Columbia and Ontario. So what they're going to do is get a group of people together, probably pay them extra. Uh, We're going to go through the summer so we can analyze real estate and what's wrong with real estate for some of you that are sitting there shaking your head and saying, what is wrong with real estate? Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff that's been coming out. And so what they want to do is they want to put together a group of people to study to find out if there's something that they can actually do to cool the real estate market without hurting the real estate market. Tell you what, here's how you don't hurt it. Get out of the way. One of the things that I know for a fact, and I'm going to ask my guest later in the hour, I'm going to be having Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. Most of you know him as a, a guest here on Simply Real Estate on a regular basis, but Dave has a really good feel for the, obviously, the mortgage market, what's happening with the economy, and the federal government has been kicking around the idea of taking the first-time home buyer allowance of 5% down up to 500000 and maybe pushing it to 10%. One more time, you're looking at the wrong people, okay? That's not the smartest thing to do. And I'm sorry if some of you are sitting there saying, hey, Todd, maybe they should do it that way. I got to tell you, 25 years in real estate has taught me one thing. Every market is generated by first-time homebuyers, and if you turn around and knock them out at their knees, we are going to suffer, and everybody else is. So you want to knock the, 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 the wind out of a, real, uh, you know, a, uh, a market? Hurt the first-time homebuyers, but you're hurting the longevity. These people that can create wealth, just as we all have owning real estate over the years, you, you got to give them the opportunity. So if you're going to do it, then you better come up with a program that's going to help them buy. you got to come up with something better than just say, we're pushing it to 10%. 
Anyways, back to Mr. Morneau here. You know, one of the things he wants to do is steps taken to protect borrowers and lenders to help maintain stable and secure housing market for Canadians. All right. So where does this, this, I'm sorry, I'm going to call it crap when he turns around and says, you know, protecting the lenders. First and foremost, if we're high ratio mortgage, we're dealing with CMHC. And those are the ones that for us are the most important because CMHC has been actually the fail safe for the Canadian real estate market, this is what the U.S. did not have in 2008, okay? The U.S. subprime market going way off base when they're turning around giving people 130% financing on, on the properties. Fortunately, the Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation is the insurer for high-ratio mortgages, which protects our lenders. And by doing so, what happens is if there is any kind of foreclosure, power of sale, default, they are protected. And to us, this is hugely important because it has stabilized our lenders, and our lenders are must be protected. But I find it interesting how they want to try to diffuse the market somehow, bring it down, lower it. And if they do that, you know what, they think that we're going to be in for a soft landing. Well, you almost have to think at this point, you know, we've got soft landing coming in because a lot of people aren't moving. You know what, they're at the point now where we don't have as much supply. A lot of people are sitting there saying, plenty of demand, not the supply. I'm not going to get into this fray. And they're stepping back. Even though we've seen some records, I think all of us in real estate can pretty much anticipate we're going to see a few less numbers coming forward. And we're going to look a lot at that. Other thing that happened, of course, is that Moody's. Okay, so... Moody Investor Services, they're the ones who want to turn around and, and let's say, be a watchdog. And this week they released a uh, an article that they're trying to show that if the Canadian mortgage market was to be exposed, if the country were to hit by a U.S.-style housing meltdown, they'd be in trouble. Well... Here's my problem with this. And, you know, I was on a few shows this week because we're talking about this. And it's all, it's, it's sort of like this. By the way, if Toronto got hit by a major category tornado, there would be damage. I mean, think about it. You know, I, I think it's a ridiculous comment where they say, if we had a 35% reduction in the price, uh, house pricing, we'd have a problem. Um. Are, you, are they missing something? Of course. But here's what they're doing. They're sitting there saying, hey, if this happens, this will happen. Of course it would. Now, part of what I took offense to in the way they wrote this article, and this is what really, really bothered me, is the fact that when they started talking about values, they kept going on about million-dollar properties. Because we talk about Toronto and Vancouver, we know a lot of the detached properties are up over a million. So here's what they did. They wanted to paint this horrific picture saying that if a if somebody let their house go, so in other words, they lost it power of sale to a bank and because the prices have dropped at a million dollars with the 35% reduction in the marketplace, they turn around and then they say, okay, well, that should be 650000 right? Okay, fair enough. Then they turn around and say, and it's going to cost them $100,000 in administration fees, and so now the bank's going to only have a property that they can get 550000 for. 
Well, here's my problem with this whole scenario is the fact that it was a million dollar property meant that somebody had to come up with $200,000 down. So there's the first thing. They want to make it sound like it's three hundred and fifty or four hundred and fifty. But what about the poor consumer that turned around and put the down payment down? So, you know, when you hear these reports, do me a favor. Either call me and I'll try to give you a simple interpretation on it, or just look for it. Look, read the numbers, you know, write it out. It doesn't make sense. A lot of these reports, in my opinion, are fear-mongering, and they're trying to deflate the market. But how does a 35% reduction happen? Well, first and foremost, you know, if interest rates go up substantially, which if anybody was listening to our show last week, we had Benjamin Tall from CIBC World Markets uh, excellent, excellent speaker, great understanding of the economy. And his first comment in the show was, we will have to do very, very gradual incremental increases over the next few years. And where he actually saw that he figured that by the interest rates would go up by about 100 basis points, kind of in a maximum to a 200 basis points. So if we do 100 basis points, folks, that's 1%. So what he's saying is today, most people are out getting mortgages around 25 to 2.6%. So he's saying 3.6%. Well, would 3.5% today collapse the real estate market here in Canada? I'd say no. What happens is everybody that's locked in for the next five years are sitting pretty. Will it, are, if people have not been speculators... Why are you selling? The majority of these million-dollar homes are not being flipped. People are moving into them. So, again, the interpretation here is that if values stabilize, interest rates go up a little, as long as the world economy does not collapse. And, again, it's kind of funny. If you read into the article, they actually talk about that. It's almost like there's a lot of catastrophic things that would have to happen in the world and in Canada for the Canadian market to drop 35%. And again, they always draw the comparison to the U.S. Well, here's the problem. Again, when we discuss the U.S. market, the subprime market, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, love the names, by the way, you know, they don't sound like institutions, CIBC, RBC. No, they talk about people. And these people that were turning around and lending this money, they got what they deserved, Okay, quite frankly, I don't feel sorry for the lenders in, in the U.S. because they did not institute any form of restriction. They weren't careful. They used speculation for their own products so they could sell more debt. You know what? In Canada, we're a heck of a lot better system than that. So that's one of the reasons why I'm going to vent my spleen on this one is that I don't agree with it. But when they turn around and throw the fact that, hey, listen, if Canada has a 35% meltdown, it's going to cost people money. Yeah, no kidding. That was pretty intelligent of them. I just wonder what economist, how many years he had to go to university to figure that one out. Anyways, looking at it, they say that, you know, potentially there could be $17 billion lost to the lenders. Just so everybody's aware, in Canada, there's $1.6 trillion in mortgage money in Canada. So 1%. 1% is the loss of what they are indicating. So far, I don't really see where they get the merit on doing it. I understand. Listen, folks, be smart. Make sure you're not overextending yourselves. Again, always, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, when you qualify, make sure you can qualify 
at a higher interest rate. Make sure you can maintain your debt. Make your life simple. Do not put yourself or your family under that much stress. But definitely, real estate long-term is always going to be a great investment. As I said, I'm going to have Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage joining me. I'm going to ask some of his uh, comments on some of this news this week, of course. And um, we're going to have a great conversation. So when we come back, I've got Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And you're listening to me, Todd C. Slater, right here on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Just a little bit earlier, I was having, um, I'm not going to call it fun, but, you know, at the, own, uh, at the expense of the government, because, I, again, I still think that they're probably reading into something here that they want to create more control. At least they want to create more studies, because last time we checked, the government loves making studies that they can make a lot of money on. And unfortunately, us as taxpayers are going to pay for it. Well, um, us as consumers are going to pay for it if they stick their toe into the pool where they should not. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm going to have uh, Dave Butler join us now from Butler Mortgage. And um, welcome to the show, Dave. Hi, Todd. How are you doing? Thank you. Good. Thanks. So, you know, Dave, here's here's a couple of things that have happened in this last week uh, or actually the last couple of weeks because this has been kind of, you know, percolating. And uh, recently, Moody's, um, which is Moody Investor Services, you know, every every so many months they release a, uh, you know, some form of, you know, document that says, in their mind, the, the market's going to crash. In their mind, this is what's going to happen. You know, for years we've been hearing the doom and gloom. But w- this one is, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm tired of seeing headlines where people turn around and they keep going on. If a market crashes like the U.S., this is how much money we're going to lose. What's your take on it from a mortgage perspective? I mean, as a lender, you know, you're front and center with people. You you are, you know, lending out money from different institutions. What's your take on that? Um, I you know, it's it's interesting that they can throw out numbers like that uh, as far as predicting percentage wise is what could happen. I think it's certainly you know if anything was to happen, a lot of it's going to be predicated on what happens with interest rates. Um, you know, they can talk all they want, but at the end of the day, these rates being lower they are, there's not going to be a lot of uh, a crash. You know, ha- there's not going to be much of a crash happening because people are still going to be able to afford the homes. Um, so, I mean, it, it to me, it's kind of erroneous for them to put out numbers like. 17 billion and stuff like that and 35% because I believe if anything you have to take into consideration what the interest rates will be that's going to likely cause something like that. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, last week I had uh, Benjamin Tall from CIBC World Markets join us. And Mr. Tall, you know, obviously world economist, uh, very well respected in the real estate field. And his, um, his comments to us here were the fact that potentially he thinks over the next two to three years that we should see about a 100 basis point increase because sooner or later we're going to have to start a little bit of an upward trend. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't sitting there saying knee-jerk reaction, all of a sudden we're going up by 3%. Then we have to look at employment and as well, you know, what really um, created the downfall of the U.S. market, which of course was a lot of the subprime. Uh, where they were over leveraging, speculation got so aggressive to a point where they're leveraging 130, 140 percent of value, and 
you know, with a with a turn down in their economy, with a uh, you know a shortage of employment, things like that. All of a sudden, you know, you had you had a trifecta of effect. But really, it was the over leverage, and really, you know, it, with CMHC in place here, and a lot of these mortgages, and this this is this is what I I I would love to jump all over Moody's with, is that they're not really indicating you know, the percentage of conventional mortgages versus the high-ratio mortgages. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier for people to walk away from, let's say, a high-ratio mortgage than it is from a conventional. Because when they walk away, they typically are walking away from 20 or 30% of equity. Yeah. And so this is why. So when we analyze it, you know, what's your take on it? Because, you know, we, we know conventional mortgages are a good place to be. Well, it's, it's, you, you bring up an amazing point, which is that a lot of that U.S. crash was predicated on very interesting lending practices, stuff that we never even had in Canada, even at the time the U.S. was doing all this craziness. And that was, as you said, uh, the 120, 100 percent financing, refinances to 110 percent. You had the ninja loans, you know, from the subprime lenders out there where basically you wrote your income on a napkin and that was what was used to verify it. Uh, So, I mean, at the end of the day, I will say this, our B lending in Canada made significant changes to what they probably perceived as them heading in the same direction back in 2008-2009. There's also a lot of B-lending institutions that did not survive that little mini-crash that we experienced. So I believe it really did make a lot of the, you know, probably subprime lending in Canada nowadays, it's pretty tough to still qualify in the sense that there's no writing income down on napkins. There's none of that stuff. You have to show you make the money. They are making decisions based on true ratios. So, I mean, to that point, it is a lot different. I, I truly do believe our mortgage industry has, is a lot more sound and clean than what we, were, what we saw was happening over in the States and what certainly did cause the crash. I mean, we've seen there's movie, Hollywood movies made about the you know mortgage fraud that was going on everyone's seen the big short i mean you know that 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 is i can tell you personally that is not that type of lending is not happening in canada today well and that's a good point now one of the things uh dave was the fact that and by the way if you're just joining in i've got dave butler from butler mortgage and we're talking about obviously some of the market and you know a little bit of the impact that uh, some of these reports will have to a market but you know, that said, Dave, we, we see a couple of the lenders, they're actually reaching out to the government saying, hey, listen, we want you to cool off the market, but yet they're realizing billions of dollars in profit, but they're actually requesting it. I mean, you know, both uh, RBC, CIBC, BMO, some of these bigger lenders are saying to the government, hey, put something in place. What, what, what's your take on that? Uh, protection, I think. I think also the thing about that is it's it's starting to depend on areas. I mean, when I speak to lenders, and I'm talking about speaking to credit managers and risk people like that, the fear that they seem to have actually has to do out in the areas that are most affected by foreign money. And so areas like Toronto, you know, certain areas of Toronto, certain areas of British Columbia, uh, where the prices are just uncontrollable. Um, that is where I hear of the fears from the lenders. Now, unfortunately, for them to make a move, they can't specify to a certain area that they're going to change it, take, you know, change mortgage rules to Toronto, let's say. So a lot of what I'm hearing is that they're wanting some type of protection against what they perceive could be some dangerous 
you know, values that they're seeing. Um, I do believe that in areas like, you know, good suburbs like Mississauga, Burlington, uh, Hamilton, uh, I, don't, I don't believe that we're in the same position. And I don't believe that the lenders, if they had their pick, um, would want to cool off some of those areas. I really, really, really do believe, and I know certain people in Toronto and B.C. will not want to hear this, but I do believe that they are making, you know, these, these kind of hopeful adjustments, you know, in talking to the government. I believe it's being done because of their the idea that some of these markets are definitely going in an interesting direction. Okay, fair enough. So, Dave, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you stay on the line. Okay, folks, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage, and we'll talk about uh, interest rates in the market in the summer. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. If you're just tuning in, joining me right now is Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. Just before the break, Dave and I were talking about some of the government reports that are out there, what the government's trying to do potentially to cool the market. So, Dave, one of my questions for you is that there's been hint of turning around and upping the minimum down payment to 10%. What's going to happen to a marketplace where, again, I don't think the first-time homebuyer market's the one that's so overheated. What's going to happen to the market if they do this? They're going to take some quality people out, that's for sure, out of the market. I mean, I, you know, I will say this. I, I feel that the 5% down uh, stuff is it's certainly there is an abundance of it. Um, you know, with the pricing of some of the houses these days, it's very tough for some first-time buyers to come up with 20% down. That's just a very large amount of money these days, um, comparatively to maybe seven or eight years ago. So um, I, 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 would, I would probably say that it would devastate the market for first-time buyers. I think it would devastate the market, you know, a good chunk of the market, because uh, from just a statistic standpoint, I do believe that there are still quite a few 5% down mortgages being done. And I believe that a lot of these lenders, that's a big chunk of their portfolio. Well, you know, I I look at it um, also for the fact that if we're not talking about brand new builds, which of course the brand new condominium market is is kind of the right place, I guess, for a lot of buyers to start. You know, a little bit more affordability. You're buying a condo at 350,000, 5% down, you know, a little bit more manageable. But if we're looking at a little bit of a resale market, which again, same price point, uh, you know, south of 500000 if we get that resale market and stagnate it, then this is the problem will be then the move up buyer doesn't have the first time home buyer, which means that the, the, the rest of it will turn around and entail start to slow down because we don't have as many move up buyers. I don't know if that's the, if that's really the the government's ultimate way, but I think we have to be very cautious because it's really the first time homebuyers that always generate any market. You know, what do you think? Is it is it is it prudent of them to do it? Should we slow it down right at source? I mean, there's going to be a bit of a obviously a public outcry on it. Uh, so you know, it should be because you know one of the things that they're going to say is that you know all of us had the you know ability back in the day to come in at five percent. Now they don't. Um, you know, but years ago, the, the down payment rules said 10% and conventional mortgages were 25. So it's, it's, it seems like, you know, is, uh, is old new again. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I will say this from my end on the mortgage side, being in it every day, we hear 
I mean, I've heard constantly for the last probably, I want to say, six, seven years that, you know, something is coming down the pipe where they might change from 5% down to 10% down. Um, you know, it's, I sit here after all those years of hearing that and kind of, you know, just it, it could be a blank threat. Uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, with you, I believe that by affecting the first-time buyers like that, it's going to have a drop-off effect on many other different types of people in different financial situations and where they are in their housing, you know, kind of career, you know, per se. So um, it's, 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 it's an interesting topic. I do believe that it would impact the market, definitely. Uh, there would be, a, you know, I believe a fairly large impact on the market if it was now 10% down, um, and then it would have some carryover to some of the other types of uh, demographics that are out purchasing homes. So, um, you know, if they really wanted to cool it down, I would say this, they would, be, they would do that in a heartbeat. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it is they're really looking at it going, wow, rates are so low for so long. You know, they have certainly created something here, and they might be looking at ways to, you know, maybe slow it down. But I think they would be putting in, you know, that'd be a pretty big speed bump if they eliminated the 5% down payment. So what about the uh, finance minister, uh, Mr. Bill Morneau? Um, he's released, um, you know, uh, a report saying that they're going to get together. Uh, he, was, uh, he was doing a speech at the Economic Club of Canada. And uh, they want to do a creation of a working group of officials from the government of Canada, the province of Ontario, province of British Columbia, and cities of Vancouver and Toronto to study the current state of the Canadian housing market and provide policy recommendations. So the idea here is they want to turn around and figure, you know, you know, uh, and, and I'm going to I'm going to give you his quote because I find it's, it's it's kind of interesting. It's important to understand that while the federal government has some levers it can pull, we don't have all of them. The issues surrounding home ownership are a shared responsibility with provincial governments, and municipalities having ability to act locally. By collaborating even more closely with our provincial and municipal partners, we will ensure a coordinated approach and make use of the best available evidence to arrive at the right conclusion. So they want to do this throughout the summer. They want to study the the hot markets being, of course, Vancouver and Toronto, and they all want to figure out, and, and again, I, I just blame this on, hey, listen, let's, 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 you know, spend more of the taxpayers' money to try to figure all this out. Obviously, we don't want a knee-jerk reaction, but what do you think of the fact that the federal government could step in and maybe not just with 10% down, but have some other form of, you know, I guess, you know, restraints put in place. Um, I, I kind of think the comment is a bit laughable in the sense that, you know, how are, how are we going to be able to get a good understanding of what's going on in the overall Canadian market by them focusing on, you know, areas of uh, Vancouver and Toronto? Um, you're talking about markets that are really influx with a lot of foreign money. And if we want to get a real good idea of how, re- you know, Canadians are managing their debt loads, managing their housing. Um, if we want to really get a good idea about that, it should be a study throughout many, many different types of areas of a province. They should be going to smaller cities, medium-sized cities, the larger cities. Well, that's, that's, that's a bit of the problem, though, Dave, is that you know, when, we look at, when, when we look at the studies right now that are even out, and you and I both know marketplaces, we have you know, consistent sustainable growth in the smaller marketplaces. They're not out of hand. They haven't had massive increases. You know, we're, we're, we're looking at some marketplaces that are coming online that are actually you know, definitely worth their brick and mortar. You look at your Burlington-Hamilton marketplaces, you take a look at the fact that Windsor's having some kind 
kind of, you know, a, a little bit of resurgence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it went way below its actual natural value there for a while. And if it, re- if it goes up another 20%, it'll be back to natural value. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- this, this is the problem is that all of this is being skewed by really, and, 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 and I'll put it to you this way, Vancouver uh, houses and condominiums and Toronto houses not condominiums, are the biggest driving force in those marketplaces. You know, the condominium market here in Toronto, as much as we've seen increases, we haven't seen the double-digit record, you know, massive competition. And I know for most of our listeners, you all think that all the Toronto condominiums are being bought up by foreign investors, but they're not. And so, you know, when we look at the big picture, you know, there's only really a couple segments of a market and they're trying to, you know, best, more or less define the Canadian marketplace by it. It's, it's, I mean, it's laughable that they, you know, would be putting, uh, spending more of our tax, tax, Canadian taxpaying dollars into studying Toronto and Vancouver. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that the markets are in a different state than many of the other cities in our in our country. Um, and it's not, you know, me, me studying, let's say, uh, you know, the top of a market is not going to give me a very good idea of what's happening in the rest of it. Uh, if anything, it might sway me to make judgments that may, may be a negative impact on the rest of the group that's out there. Okay. So... Again, if we if we take a look at, you know, some of these studies, should most of our listeners just turn around and say to themselves, look, you know what, if we're if they're buying smart, if they're making sure that they are following like, you know, prudent purchasing, meaning that, you know, buy within their means. I know as a as a as a lender yourself, you would turn around and you try to qualify people, but I think the natural reaction for most people is, you know, Dave, how much can I qualify? <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's a common thing these days, unfortunately, and I think it's certainly due to the pricing, um, you know, and where the markets seem to be going. It's what's my max? What's my max? Everyone wants to kind of, you know, maybe 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 that's the pricing. Maybe that's also just a mindset that people have it nowadays that we need to try to get corrected because I've never felt that. You know, uh, saying what's my max is the best way to approach your bank or your mortgage broker. I've always felt what do you believe is the best, you know, what, is, what do you believe is the most affordable thing for our family was always the question I would like to be asked. Um, you know, and I think at that point it's going through the whole family's debts. And, you know, it's funny. I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but, I mean, you know, when, when we as mortgage brokers are, are running a file, we are looking at a credit bureau. You know, the credit bureau may not be 100% accurate, you know, I've seen many times where a car loan is missing off the credit bureau. So, so Dave, before, you know, hang on, hang on, before you go any further, because this is a great point for our uh, listeners, uh, I'm going to have you hang on. We're going to come right back after this break, and we will talk more with Dave Butler. So stay with us. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. If you were listening, I just tried to politely cut off Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. We were talking about credit and, uh, you know, how people are qualifying for mortgages. And Dave, sorry, you had to go to a quick break. Now we're back. No problem. And I wish you could continue on our train of thought there uh, yeah, about what credit. I, what, I was, what I was kind of getting to is that, you know, everyone's wanting to get to their maximum price. Every time, you know, we're getting phone calls, people, hey, 
what's the maximum I can buy? And I just think that's the wrong mindset. Um, you know, and to a point where, uh, as a mortgage broker, we are having to run a credit bureau from Equifax or TransUnion, and that is representing generally what the client's debts are. But the credit bureaus are not 100% accurate. I've seen many times when a car loan is missing from a credit bureau, a credit card is missing from a credit bureau. Uh, these are things that when you, as an, as an agent or a broker in the mortgage industry, you should be having the conversations with your client up front, making sure there's a humongous understanding of what their real true debt load is, not just something that's on a credit bureau. You need to actually take the time and speak to your clients and go over their debts and really, you know, treat it like it's your own. I mean, it sounds cliche, but I would never want to propose something to somebody that I did not believe was the right thing to do for what the debt load was there, right? I mean, at the end of the day, as mortgage agents, we are supposed to look at the client's overall picture and try to help them determine what they can purchase that is affordable. Um, going to the max every time and being negligent on not looking over the credit bureau and ensuring everything is on there is going to cause people to get in over their head. And that certainly is something we should try to curb. Um, but again, it's a, there's a different mindset these days. It's just back in the day, I feel, even, even about 10 years ago, uh, the phone call was more, hey, what do you think I can afford? What are your thoughts on this? Whereas today, it's just, unfortunately, to, for lack of a better term, it's more of a meat market. It's what can I get? What's the highest I can go? You know, my realtor says I need to do this, da 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 And it's, you know, it's unfortunate because that, that kind of stuff, that type of lending can get us in trouble. And that type of attitude is not something that I think we want to do. And maybe the prices are forcing people into that type of mindset. I don't know. That's the one thing I don't know. Well, and, and I, think, I think you're right, though. I think that that mindset, you know, people, you know, people also, unfortunately, you know, everybody wants the, the, the best, the shiniest, the nicest. And there are those buyers that are sitting there saying, hey, I'll do it. You know, I'll, I'll buy something maybe not quite as nice, but I'm going to make it my own. So they're going to, you know, increase the equity themselves. Then, of course, there's the buyers that are out there saying, hey, listen, I don't have time to do the work. You know, I'm not good at doing it. So I'd rather buy fit and finish. And I think that's where a lot of the new builders have the have the upper hand because, you know, one time you'll go to a builder and you'll turn around and they'll say, listen, you can buy this house for 750000 By the time you walk out of the upgrade office, you know, you're up to nine hundred. And or or almost a million because everybody yeah. says, hey, listen, yo, look, you can have this, you can have that, granite countertops, this, this, and people start getting carried away, and of course, they don't one point, so they're going to come back to you saying, hey, Dave, can we afford this? And if they haven't disclosed all their debts to you, then of course you look at their income, you base it on the ratios, and it says, hey, by the way, uh, you can. Um, quick question for, for for when we talk about financing, um, standard. TDS and GDS ratios, okay, what people should be looking at, um, you know, what is normally the allowable level? And if, if people need to know what TDS is, Dave, maybe you can clear, uh, clarify that? Yeah, so basically uh, GDS and TDS is uh, gross debt service ratio and total debt service ratio. Those are the two ratios that are looked at essentially the most by the lenders. The, gr- the uh, gross debt service ratio essentially is looking at your income to debt ratio as far as the home itself. So they're on, on the GDS ratio, they're only looking at the property taxes, the heating, and the mortgage. 
the total debt service ratio is taking that same ratio, but now also including, let's say, car loans, visa payments, RSP loans, anything that's basically on your credit bureau that, that, that's an outside debt aside from the home. Um, those ratios nowadays, if you have a credit score over 680, so if your Beacon score is over 680, you are allowed a 39% GDS and a 44% TDS. If your credit score is below 680, uh, basically between 600 and 680, let's say 679, then the maximum GDS ratio is 35%, and the maximum TDS ratio is 42%. Now, Todd, back obviously, we have a bit of uh, history in this business, so we know that you know when we were first in this. The ratios were 32 and 40, and, uh, and I don't know, the one thing I always wondered was, why was the change made? Because if back then we thought 32 and 40 was the right thing, what changed to where now people are able to know, the banks feel that they can use 39% of their income as opposed to 32 on their property, right? So, you know, ultimately it's fun when I'm, you know, when I'm underwriting a file, um, I like to try to keep my ratios in the 32 and 40. I feel it's very healthy. I feel that 39%, allowing someone to use 39% of their gross uh, income before taxes on their home and housing uh, is 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 a large amount. I mean, let's let's be real here. If you have a couple making two hundred thousand dollars a year, they are taxed fairly heavily. Uh, maybe they're only netting, let's say, seventy five percent of that, uh, and we're going to allow them to go up to thirty nine percent of their gross income on their home. So after taxes, what are they left with to use on anything else? Now there's no savings. I mean, there's you know, a couple car payments in there, and all of a sudden there's no money left every month if you're going that high, right? So I do like the old 32 and 40, just a personal thing. Um, but, of course, that's the whole thing is we're getting calls from people saying, hey, what's my max? You know, based, meaning how high can I go? Put me right up to that 39% and tell me what I can buy. And it's uh, – you know, it's certainly, it's concerning. It's, it's always been concerning to me, and it was concerning when they changed the ratios in the first place, because I didn't necessarily think we had a problem to begin with. So through the summer, do you think we're going to see any changes in the interest rates? Well, we already are. Um, we actually, it's, it's continuing and continuing. As, as you and I have kind of been tagging the line from the beginning of the year, we, we did kind of foresee this summer market trend of the rates jumping down. But you know what was kind of very interesting is uh I'm finding that the difference on the fixed rates between the smaller lenders and the bigger banks is getting smaller and smaller. What I mean by that is the smaller lenders, the smaller institutional lenders, they always will have better interest rates than the major banks because it's the only way they can actually compete in that business. If I have a client that I can get them the same rate from a smaller lender compared to a big bank, they are always by nature going to want to go with the big bank because that's just who they're more familiar with. So the smaller lenders know the only way they can grab any business from the big banks is by actually beating the bank's rates. Traditionally, in the last couple months, you know, the difference between the big banks and the smaller lenders has been about a 0.2, 0.3 on the fixed rates. Just last night, studying all my rate sheets, I'm starting to see, wow, uh, the rates actually aren't that much different. The fixed rates are between the big banks and the smaller lenders is you're talking maybe a 0.05. And in some instances, I've had bigger banks at better rates than the smaller lenders. So that's interesting to me. That's, uh, I, I don't necessarily know what that's coming from, but it's, uh, it's something that I was able to take note of. There's still seems to be a difference on the variable. I'm noticing the big banks aren't as strong on the variable compared to the smaller lenders. You're talking about probably about a 
point two to point three difference. So definitely in that end. But on the fixed rates, that was something I, I, I noticed and wanted to share with your listeners because uh, there does seem to be less and less of a spread between those two lenders, between the big ban- big banks and the smaller lenders. So that's again, don't know what that is, but that's something that I noted. Uh, but certainly, Scotia Bank, TD Bank, the big banks all reduced some of their fixed rates in the last couple of weeks. And uh, we are seeing now sub 2.5% five-year fixed rates from the big banks. I mean, we have Scotiabank at 2.49. You have TD Bank at 2.44 in some instances, depending on if it's a branch or a broker. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, there, there are some interesting scenarios out there where we are seeing incredibly low fixed rates. And, you know, I know, I know as much as we'd like to see the, you know, some of the housing market cool off in some areas, I think with these rates, we're just going to keep seeing people buy. Yeah, excellent. Well, Dave, always a pleasure. We uh, love having you on Simply Real Estate. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll have you back soon. Talk to you soon, Todd. Take care. Thank you. That was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And folks, um, yeah, you know what? Great point. Interest rates uh, for the summer are going to be in a very, very attractive uh, number. And we always uh, always like to know where the market's at. So as you heard Dave Butler, he was mentioning, you know, uh, sub 2.5 in a five-year fixed scenario. Not bad when you think about it. Um, is that is that adding fuel to the fire? I don't know. You know what? It's an interesting marketplace. And a lot of these reports, I just, you know, earlier when I was going off about uh, the Moody's report, I just want to caution people that you don't hop into the fear mongering. I think the better educated you are, the more knowledge you gain in a marketplace, the more you know about mortgages, the more you know about what you're buying, what neighborhood you're buying in, I think is so very important. I think getting an education before you go out and buy is uh, is crucial. And make sure that you know what you are getting, both from a mortgage and a purchasing. And remember, when dealing with realtors, you always want to deal with a professional. Very, very important. Somebody that's knowledgeable for the area that you're looking at buying is always best. And um, speaking of uh, things, as far as exciting things, uh, we at The Simple Investor actually uh, had our newest release. There's only a few units left out of our newest Sarnia Corona release. Um, units for 99900 We had an incredible response. Uh, I mentioned last week that we just released it. You can go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out. Um, basically, two major developments, and there's only a couple left. And uh, congratulations to all our listeners that have become investors. Uh, you're going to be very, very happy with this product. Um, guaranteed monthly rent and consistency. This is the biggest thing. So, uh, again, uh, outer markets, that's where we always believe to be an investor. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com. Of course, you can find out more, or you can reach us at the office at 905-812-2524. Uh, Thank my guest once again, Dave Butler. He's always a great guest to have here on Simply Real Estate. And, um, you know, biggest thing I got to tell you, it's it's summertime. You you know, I think we're going to see consistency. No matter what the government is trying to do at this point, they can study all they want, but I think they're really going to have to understand what they're looking at. There are specific markets. And if you're waiting in the pool right now in Vancouver and some of the detached in Toronto, you know, it's going to cost a little bit extra, but uh, an opportunity to make that decision. Anyways, I want to thank my producer, uh, Ian Grant, and for all of you for tuning in here at Simply Real Estate. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater, and I will talk to you next Saturday at 4 p.m.